from Relay FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode number 40. Can you believe it? Recorded March 21st, 2023. I am your master of ceremonies, so dubbed by the listeners, Jason Snell. And with me, as always, is Julia Alexander, Director of Strategy at, I just discovered, New Zealand-based Parrot Analytics. Hi, Julia. <laughs> hey, Jason. How are you? I, I'm doing fine. I, I, have, I spent my entire time in New Zealand working on, like, trying to observe the New Zealand accent, but I'm not going to do it because it's hard. It's All the vowels are different and anything. You'll see if you haven't seen it's already. It's so difficult. Yeah. Dealing with, Half uh, of my company is, is, is New Zealand. They're New Zealanders. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Kiwi. Yeah. Yeah, they they do all the E's or I's and all the all the I's or E's and it's weird. It's uh it's there. You can understand them and they're very nice. Uh, I'm just saying. So, uh I I just didn't know that. That's very funny. Parrot analytics. There are no parrots. Well, oh, there is a parrot in in New Zealand actually. I think weird. Um anyway, this is not a podcast about New Zealand except last time when it was. Uh <laughs> but I did want to um do a little bit of follow up because we talked a lot about that big clash between Lord of the Rings, there it is, the Rings of Power, and House of the Dragon, and um, and how they both actually ended up doing pretty well in the ratings. Um, but I, I wanted to point out this note that came up uh, that you pointed out on Twitter, which is that um, The Last of Us, which you know did not get the level of analysis that House of the Dragon did as a reestablishment of the Game of Thrones franchise, uh, but The Last of Us, based on a video game franchise, has now uh, bested it in an, in the total average viewers across the full season, which doesn't mm-hmm. all that really. I mean, like bested it. All that really means is that HBO got two huge hits uh, and they're 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 doing OK, at least on that on that front of the blockbuster series. Uh, but I I think I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think genre, it shows the power of genre. I think uh, it shows that. Uh, just as a hit is not guaranteed when you are building something out of a franchise, um, that you can find hits in other places and from other, from nothing or from a video game. Um, yeah, I think the, the, I almost, I try to do a Photoshop of Casey Blois, who's the head of HBO and HBO Max of his face on DJ Khaled doing his like another one. Cause I'm always like. Casey's just out here really month after month, quarter after quarter delivering hits. Uh, so congrats to him really. Um, but I, I think it's, what's interesting about the last of us besting uh house of the dragon and by besting to jason's point like it, it was maybe an extra like five hundred thousand yeah. viewers per episode it was it was not like they had done an insanely high like they both did really no. well you and could, i think the last you, you of us could came say out, they're like, the, you could say they both were successful right i mean you could boil it down yeah. to that if you need to it doesn't really matter it's it uh, who wins I think by it a literally if I remember correctly, I think it was literally like the last of us averaged like 40.1 million and the house of the, the dragon, it was like 39.4. Like, yeah. like it ended up it's being like good. something like that, which is like great for HBO. But I think it really speaks to, um, the power of video game IP. So there's a really interesting conversation happening about franchise right now because franchises are kind of the gold standard for Hollywood. But if you think about the gold standard of what established franchises as that, it's been Marvel. And Marvel is kind of in this moment of depreciating, right? Marvel's in this moment of the films are not performing as well. The shows are not doing as well as like WandaVision when they first came out. There's they, uh, Victoria Alonso, who is a longtime Marvel executive producer, was recently ousted from the company. They're going through this kind of 
I always call it their their uh, their their puberty moment. They're kind of you know that awkward transition stage from being this child full of energy and everyone's attention is on them to being this kind of sullen teenager and how do they mature into an adult? That's kind of what it's going through. And and, it's, and if they're the gold standard for how you create a franchise, which was what every single company down to the TV divisions, down to what like Showtime is doing with their shows uh, is trying to figure out, then how do we really establish the next generation of franchises? And I think what is interesting is that it, you know, by definition, spinning out a franchise has to come from a piece of original content. Now that original content can, it can exist within a larger IP world. But if we think about like Marvel, Marvel studios, that IP was based into comics, right? It was like film. They were original films. Iron Man was original. Captain America was original. Then they kind of spun it out. And so I think when we look at what the future franchise is going to be, we're kind of running out of the big books. We're running, the comics are done. We're basically run out of all the, the major comic characters. Yep. And so when we think about, okay, what's the next iteration where there is a concentrated, a large concentrated amount of attention from a large macro global audience base? Gaming is kind of the like obvious one. And so I think when we talk about The Last of Us, which you can debate, people have been debating this for the last 10 weeks on Twitter, whether or not it's a pure adaptation or not. Um, I think it is the most concrete example of how you can do really strong prestige adaptations because on the other end of that is kind of sonic the hedgehog and detective <laughs> pikachu as sure. really strong like like successful global adaptations at the box office but i think the last of us is really this moment so i think the fact that it did as well as it did was one shocking to no one it was kind of like this is a huge video game video game fans are into it hbo fans are into it zombie fans are into it it's like there's there there's the, uh, an automatic base that's built into it but two i think the fact that it was so universally well received and well reviewed and the fact that it did put up numbers and the fact that it is a really big next step for hbo a company that famously does not really buy into ip right like a company that very famously is concentrated on original works that aren't tied to anything um i think goes to show where we're heading into the next 10 years next 15 years of hollywood at the tv level yeah i think the last of us is a i mean it's unique in some ways it is a video mm -hmm. game adaptation you said it is also sort of like in this uh, premium tv lineage you look right. at craig mazin coming off of chernobyl and so this was in some ways i mean isn't it nice if you're a tv executive and you you do that hbo thing where it's kind of carte blanche to somebody who did an amazing piece of work for you and and he comes back with a this piece of uh intellectual property from a video game that is also in a genre that uh i, I want to point out the other piece that we haven't mentioned yet which is it's in a genre that produced one of the very most successful tv shows of the last 10 years which is the walking dead right which i know that some people think of as a it's like oh well that's a cable show it's like no it was the biggest show on tv for several years it, yeah. it, so you get the walking dead which it's not part of that franchise but it's right in that genre and then you have a prestige spin on it and you have everybody coming in from the video game side like and again casey bloy is nodding his head but 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 when you know craig mason could have come to him and said i want to do a very unpopular thing that nobody wants to see and they'd be like okay craig all right fine and that is not what he did he was like no nope, i'm gonna get you a hit i'm gonna get you a huge hit and he did. i'm interested too jason how you feel about this and and um just because here's my hot take my hot take is like the last of us was great so that's not the hot take that yeah. that's like agreed, agreed. Uh, everyone's very, in agreement on it i didn't love yeah. i didn't love some aspects of the ending but like that's that's all at like arguing the details of art uh it was great right. 
It was a great, no, no, exactly. great show. Yeah. I thought I thought it was a great show. My hot take is that I think people forget how good the first two seasons of The Walking Dead were. Yeah. And whenever people are like, this is like the greatest. First of all, The Last of Us is not a zombie show, but let's just call it a zombie show. Like it's like I think people kind of attach this. Well, it's HBO. So therefore it is automatically better, which which credit to HBO is like a huge accomplishment to have as a brand. But it's like I watched The, the Last of Us. Loved every episode, thought it was great. But I was like, I don't think this is better than what the first season of The Walking Dead was. They're very different. It's really like comparing apples to oranges. But there was this moment on Twitter over the last 10 weeks where I was just kind of like, this is great. It is not like the be end all of television. Mm. And I think there's this really interesting moment happening that I'm, I'm keen to watch play out with more adaptations in the TV space, um, uh, especially of like, gaming communities seeing their source material adapted with care and with understanding and not just what the films had been of like the early 2000s when you had god-awful video game adaptation films uh and so you have this moment of like oh yeah like this they, they understand what it means to really adapt this with care and so it's then blown up within the communities and then beyond that is like the greatest thing in the world the fact that it's attached to hbo makes that argument even stronger for a lot of people and i'm kind of like this isn't reinventing the wheel. Like, like this is this is a very good show. It is not the be end all of of all shows, right? Uh, but I just I wanted to get your opinion on it. Cause I don't know if I was just maybe being too harsh or too contrary. I, I, I well, I I think people lose track of the fact that that of how successful The Walking Dead is, and yeah, part of that right. is that it 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 lingered because it's the old cash grab, right? Like once it makes mm-hmm. that much money, you're going to keep it around forever. Um, have eight spinoffs. <laughs> yeah. I, and I would also say that, and I, and I say this having read the comic as well, because um, that's a different kind of adaptation. The Walking Dead kind of meanders. It, it is mm-hmm. about setting up, especially on their um, on their cable TV budget, it's about setting up set pieces for seasons. And as a result, you linger in places like, you know, The the Last of Us did a, a bunch of things that are absolutely things The Walking Dead did. I'd say the big difference between them is The Last of Us would do them in two episodes or one episode. And so, like, there's the... These are mild spoilers, just mild thematic spoilers for The Last of Us. But, like, there's the episode where they go to the compound where the people are kind of starving and there turns out that they're kind of cannibals. Um, that would have been a season of The Walking Dead. And... I, I would argue that's that was too much. And that's actually one of the things that drove me ma- yeah, me nuts about the, the Walking Dead is that it was just a little too slow and meandery, I think, because they they couldn't afford to build like a town and then tear it down after two episodes. <laughs> uh, so that that's my I, I think that this is uh, very accelerated in part because the storytelling in the game was very accelerated. And yeah. and I, I do think it benefited from that. However, now they've got the problem where they've really they've blown through the entire first game right. and the second game probably probably has more than one season of content in it, but it has lots of uh, issues. I'm just going to not spoil anything from the second game and just say right. it's got lots of things they're going to have to figure out how they're going to deal with in the context of doing a, a, an ongoing television series. And right. it's now such a hit that you, do, you, do you think, I mean, I, I suppose if if uh, if Druckmann and Mazin come to HBO and say, look, we can really only do two more seasons and then we're out, they'll agree with them. But there is that other thing, which is like, could you could you not? Because it's really successful and it's going to make us a lot of money. So well, we'll, and we've, we'll see. We've talked about this on the podcast before. And my 
favorite thing about HBO, uh, always has been, is they're so good at listening to creators. To creators, yeah. And and being and when Damon Lindelof says like there's three seasons of The Leftovers, a hugely popular right. show for HBO at the time, and they're like, okay, we're gonna end it. Succession. Yep. Jesse Armstrong comes in and says four seasons and we're done. And we're just, not and gonna Casey do a goes, second season of Watchmen, right? And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. all right, like, I guess. We're like exactly like we'll back <laughs> off. And I think like I, I mean I I had a, a long tweet thread about this. You can you can. We at Parrot Analytics, my teams and I, we work on determining the value of the literal like monetary value of a piece of content and therefore its contribution on a seasonal basis, including its growth potential and its decay potential. Um, and so a big part of what we do is we look at like what is the off-season revenue. So if you don't create another season, how much is that still driving in revenue to a platform? So great examples like Friends, right? Friends, Seinfeld, how much are those actually still driving without new seasons? And so we looked at it for succession – and it was like, even if they don't put out another season, like they're still generating pretty strong revenue. They're, they're missing out a little bit, but if they don't have to put additional marketing, additional production budget, by the fifth season, those cast uh, salaries are going up. Like it's, it's, it gets to a point where they're like, it makes financial sense for us to not necessarily pursue it. And the creators don't want to. So it's a win-win. But I, what I will say just to end on the segment and uh, uh, interesting your opinion on this, Jason, I'm in a group chat with a lot of, TV critics, TV reporters. Um, I came from that world. A lot of them are, are close friends of mine, so we're just in a group chat. We were talking literally earlier this morning about shows that we were watching, and one of my friends said, you got to watch Swarm, and I said, I know. I got, I got to remember to open up Apple, or excuse me, Amazon Prime Video. That's the new one from Donald Glover. I was like, I know that I have to. I, I've been watching Shrinking on Apple TV+, and everyone's like, oh, I'm kind of doing that. And and it was the thing I, I really loved about The Last of Us and what I love about Succession coming out, and I'm excited about Yellow Jackets coming out, what I loved about The Walking Dead is like, monolithic culture that is defined by weekly releases that have a, a pretty strong uh, a concentrated attention from like a global audience means that we can have actual conversations we can like create this is nothing new like like, like this, we've talked about this for years but the, like i really do miss that and i think that's a big advantage that hbo really has going for it the fact that it has really in-demand shows it holds really strong attention from global audiences and it like consistently puts out weekly releases. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like per quarter, HBO is the go-to. This is what AMC used to be, right? AMC was this with Mad Men and Breaking Bad and and Walking Dead and like all those all those shows. My One of my favorite shows, Halt and Catch Fire, which did not pick up as well as the yeah, other ones right. did. You know, Masters of Sex, like all those, which is not uh, – That was AMC, Showtime, right? But yeah. That was Showtime. It's the same, but it's all those model. like – Exactly. Like I, I – I, Understand that there is inherent problems with monolithic culture because we look at the lack of voices that 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 elevates because you're like, okay, well, we only have so much time and and space to literally do this. But I am excited, like from The Last of Us going into Succession and Yellow Jackets to be like, oh, I have shows to talk about with my Mm -hmm. friends. And on top of that, I will watch Swarm when I have a chance or whatever. In my friend group, we are hopelessly addicted in the most vapid sense of the t- of the word to Vanderpump Rules, and so like on Wednesdays, like that is our show, and we talk about it. And I I think I've I've missed that more than ever because there's way too much TV, there's way too much to catch up on, and now I'm just like, what are my friends talking about? I'm just gonna do that. Yeah, it's nice to have uh, it's nice to have this immense world of TV to choose from, but it's also nice to have those things that you you find commonality with people because everybody's talking about it and you get on board and you have that conversation and you mentioned that strategy. I mean, I think it's very clear to me that Apple TV Plus that's their strategy, right? Is they want to they want to do HBO, they want to do the weekly release and uh, have them, them be of generally high quality and get people hooked so that they're talking about it. And they've only, I mean, Ted Lasso did that during the pandemic, uh, the heights of lockdown 
down uh, definitely did that. But I, I think that's what they're going for, whether they it, it's tougher because they don't have the existing HBO, which, uh, you know, HBO's strange advantage of having the linear channel. But actually, it leads to a, a, a water cooler conversation a style that is uh, is pretty good for stuff like this. So it's yeah, yeah it's nice. Agreed. I, not not everything needs to be a global conversation, no. right? But it's nice that there are some still. Yeah, I'm going to be unbearable when Stranger Things comes out, but I'm also going to be unbearable with Vanderpump Rules, and that's a very small section mm. of people, yeah. <laughs> but a very dedicated one. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, a thing that I'm calling Hulu Corner. I guess there are corners, lots of corners in this podcast, um, but. Uh, I want to talk about Hulu. We're going to do a lot of sports corner later on, but I want to talk about Hulu with you. Um, so uh, we we have listeners to this podcast have, know that we have been mulling on Hulu for a long time. Uh, you wrote a puck column about it, the the Hulu Hunger Games, which made me laugh, um, and merger and acquisition of Hunger Games. You know, we, we've been talking about this issue that there's there's going to be a drop dead here where Disney owns two thirds of Hulu and NBC Universal owns a third of Hulu. And uh, one of them is going to prompt the, you know, they, they have the opportunity to do a sale one to the other mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. based on a price that they've agreed on. It's kind of part of their deal. Um, but in the meantime, we all sit here going, I'm trying to find a way to make Hulu Hulu's future make sense. And we, we talk about it and and uh kind of go around in circles and have ideas but nothing sounds really good your column basically uh goes through a lot of the details um and then says at the end if anybody tells you that this is an easy answer they haven't thought about it enough because it's not an easy answer there is no clear easy answer here um a couple of 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 notes that made me want to bring it up again um uh talking to bob Iger about it uh I'll, I'll link a hollywood reporter story he said the company is continuing to evaluate the best option for hulu which he praised as a strong platform but one that features undifferentiated entertainment content compared to what he sees as the highly differentiated content on disney plus and then um our jason kalar the founding ceo of hulu uh, did a tweet thread where he mentioned a bunch of different scenarios including maybe hulu gets spun out and serves a role similar to the role spotify serves for the music industry atta- attracting lots of paying subs with an attractively priced everything bundle wa- where all the cash flow was retained by those supplying the content and then there was a financial times article that uh, we'll also link to that uh, quotes a rival entertainment exec is saying Bob Iger is stuck knowing that Disney's got a lot of debt. Hulu is a great service, but it's domestic only. And the U S is a very crowded market. Or as you put it, trying to predict the future of Hulu is a fool's errand that I find myself constantly embarking on. And that it brings us to Hulu corner again, where we look at each other and go, huh? What do you think about Hulu? Uh, do you have any any new thoughts about about like uh, uh, this this fool's errand that we're on about like where does Hulu go from here? I I have many thoughts. That's that's mm. the issue. As I wrote a podcast right? that I keep writing about this, much to my editors, I'm sure um, um, annoyance. But the, it's I'm such like, a great topic because there's no clear <laughs> yeah. answer, right? Like it's such great fodder for thought because there is no clear path forward here. And, and I have to say, I I had a a, a meeting with someone at Net, Netflix. Um, very, very senior. It was off the record, so I won't get into it. But I will say I was validated because I, I walked in and the first thing they said was, man, this Hulu situation. And I said, yeah. I said, what, what do you think? And they're like, I have no idea. 
like, who has any idea about what to do? Yeah. And I was like, yes. Like, if the people at Netflix, very, very senior, are like, man, I don't know what I would do. It's yep, like, what is, what is the point of this? Anyways, my opinion on this, very, very inspired by a lovely tweet thread that um, Jason, Jason Clark had yep, uh, about... Buddy friend of the show uh, he doesn't know what the, the show is we should somebody wrote in and said we should get uh, jason Kalar on the podcast sometime i'm like sure yeah that'd be great i could dm sure. jason see if he'd want to come on but i don't think he would yeah. um but but i do love jason uh i think i think he's extremely smart and he he had a great thread he because he was the founding ceo of, yeah. of hulu and 15 years ago last week hulu launched and so he had a great thread about it and he kind of put into words perfectly what i had been thinking about which is the reason Hulu worked best is that Hulu acted as a Spotify, right? Like Hulu was a place that everyone kind of used as a pay three window. It was like, okay, well, we're just going to put content here. And Hulu, because they didn't have to invest in original in as much original content, said, cool, we're going to license and we're just going to be the home for what people want to watch when they're looking for their favorite shows again. So if they're on justwatch.com and they want to watch How I Met Your Mother or they want to watch ER or Grey's Anatomy or whatever is Law & Order, we're the home to it. And we're the cheap home to it. There was a new report today out of Antenna, a really great um, third-party research firm that focuses on customer acquisition and churn um, in the United States. And it, when they were looking at the percentage of subscribers on uh, on the ad-supported tiers on all the different services, so the very far you know end of the spectrum with more sub uh, with more subscribers to the ad-free is like Netflix and Disney Plus. Netflix sitting at just. 1% have the ad-supported tier. Disney Plus, 3% have the ad-supported tier, which is really impressive considering the price hike. And then on the very other end of the spectrum, which will be pretty, which will sound obvious to loyal listeners of the show, Peacock, right? Sitting at 75% of subscribers on the ad-supported tier. Mm. But Hulu, sitting at 57% on the ad-supported tier. And Hulu's ad-supported tier actually generates stronger average revenue per user, which makes for a really lucrative business for just Hulu. And so Hulu has kind of seen this consistent growth. It's got really strong. It's, it kind of consistently sells out for the ad in, uh, its advertising inventory. It's got really strong ARP on the ad front. And at the same time, it is a mess of a business under Disney, right? It is like an owned and operated platform that does not necessarily need to exist in the way that they're operating it, which is putting additional investment into original content, kind of making it the home for FX. And what we're seeing to which Iger has talked about is like the 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 investment in general entertainment has not differentiated enough to Jason's point enough to make it seem like, okay, well, this is worthwhile. Or to put that in simpler terms, it is not reaching the HBO levels that we were hoping that the FX would be or that we were hoping the dropout or whatever it might be, uh, you know, uh, only murders in the building would be in order for us to kind of create this Netflix HBO Max style platform. And so what do you do with it? The easy answer, and I say easy with a huge number of asterisks surrounding it. The easy answer is to say, we're going to take all of our own content. So that's 20th Century Fox content. That's Disney General Entertainment. So like ABC Freeform, we're going to take all that content and throw it onto Disney+. Plus. Why are we going to do that? Because Star internationally has proven this is a, a successful venture. We can charge an extra three bucks, four bucks, five bucks for it, and we're not going to see huge amounts of churn. We are going to see a larger number of acquisitions on the Disney Plus front because of the general entertainment side, and we're going to be able to grow that and therefore charge more and have stronger advertising. So then you have this platform, though, and this is where it gets difficult because who's buying the platform without the content? If we hypothetically say that, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery takes their content back. Paramount takes their content back. 
NBC Universal might buy the platform, but if they buy the platform, as I kind of wrote about in this puck piece, that really inhibits them from spending additional money on buying Paramount or on buying Warner Brothers Discovery if Comcast wants to do that. Two reasons. One, that increases their debt load, uh, which is not fun for shareholders in this economic time. And two, you have Lena Khan, who's the chairperson of the FTC, uh, who would not like that. She's she's very anti-big kind of conglomerates acquiring more conglomerates. And so if they were to buy Hulu, which is a little bit easier to argue because they still have a stake in it, and then try to buy one of the bigger companies that they seem to want, they, they seem to want to buy, leading into a really tricky situation. And so this is what makes it difficult. Because if Hulu is just a platform with none of the licensed content, and the original content really isn't driving the acquisitions that you need, the value of that platform d- decreases dramatically. And if the value of the platform decreases dramatically, the question, as I wrote about in Puck, is not necessarily what Disney is willing to sell it at if Disney were to buy it out from Comcast, because they, they have to regardless, they have to buy it, uh, if and then sell it. The question is, at what loss point are they willing to sell it at? What, at what point are they saying, okay, we're going to take a $3, 4000000000 billion loss on this uh, because we just want to get it off our backs? On the other side of the spectrum, it's like, okay, well, we can still use it to kind of create a churn reducer. It's a really good part of the bundle. We know that the bundle is driving uh, stronger growth in the United States. We also know that the bundle is probably generating less average revenue per user. So it's not fundamentally great for revenue. Um, and so the, my feeling on this, which I think, Jason, you feel similarly about, so I want to hand it over to you in a second, is spin it off. Make it, a, make it its own company. So it's off the Disney balance sheet. And then really make it a Spotify. Make it something where it's like, hey, you guys can come license your content, which they all want to do because they all need to increase a revenue so they can put that back into original programming. Disney as a, a, a spins this off as a company. Hulu needs that type of of third, fourth windowing in order to have people kind of come to it. They can charge. It can be almost an ad. Uh, almost completely ad supported. And so that, you know, if they have the amount of eyeballs, the amount of subscribers on it, that you still got a platform with like 45 million subscribers. If you're still able to do that, but you're based solely on licensed content, you don't have to worry too much about, about investment in original content, less investment in marketing. This really is a load off the Disney back, which makes shareholders happy. And you have a potential to create a business on this Hulu, Spotify type situation that's slightly better for all those involved because it kind of has a purpose. Hulu for a long time has been purposeless, in my opinion. And the bigger question is like, what do you then do with Hulu Live TV? Which feels like fundamentally flawed. I, it feels like something that you can just kind of shut down without worrying too much about it. But Jason, I want to get your opinion. Well, I think you're right. And I'm going to just agree with my fellow Jason here. I, I think it's funny how this has come. It, Julia, actually, we've been talking about this so long that the world changed underneath us. And I feel like maybe it's actually provided us with a better path forward for Hulu than existed before. The world changed obviously netflix results and slowing and all of that and 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 we have left the arms race era where everybody was trying to you know bulk up so that they were one of the last ones standing and we've entered this era where even netflix has an ad tier so there's the ad supported streaming and then there's of course the rise of fast the free ad support ad supported stuff like tubi which is being which is like doing really well now um and that's owned by fox and I look at that and I think, well, yeah, maybe that's the way forward for Hulu and maybe the right way. I mean, like, I'm not a financial genius, so I'm not going to be able to say. But like, the, my gut feeling is that if you look at at what other companies have done, spinning Hulu out 
and having it be its own thing and also right. putting some of your debt in it, probably, because um, that's what companies do nowadays. Yeah. And, and I actually wonder if, like, would Disney spin it out on its own or would Disney go to Universal, uh, you know, and say to Comcast and say, um, how about this idea? We, we just keep it. We keep owning it and we put it out on its own. And we let it kind of like do its own thing because whatever the details of the machinations are, I think that maybe is the right way forward. I think Disney could pluck some of the original stuff that they currently generate for in the U.S. for Hulu, but that in the rest of the world they've got in Star on Disney Plus. They could like the FX stuff maybe and say, well, we're going to just take that and put it on Disney Plus in a new Star We'll just bring the star brand into the U.S. And, you know, maybe that's an extra add on or maybe they just use that to help justify raising the price of Disney Plus a little bit further. But you do that to make Disney Plus a little more well-rounded without being about everything everywhere, which I think is what Bob Iger uh, and his statement was concerned about is like undifferentiated. Right. They still want to differentiate it, but you could differentiate it and have some stuff that's that's not sort of for for kids and families. And then. Uh, and yeah, and so Hulu ends up being going back to what it was, which is a perfectly nice place that maybe has got, you know, some originals, but a lot of uh, stuff that's gotten sort of through the cycle that that nobody, you know, HBO Max doesn't want it anymore because they're not going to have everything Warner's mm-hmm. owns on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Same for Comcast, same for Disney and, uh, you know, and same same for uh, for Fox even. So like they'll and, and just take Hulu and say, OK, yeah. Hulu's a nice place for that. Let's just put stuff there. And and you're right. Maybe build a business on that kind of basic approach, especially with lots of people doing ads. Maybe you create a fast, uh, you know, a fast option as well for people right. who want to see stuff there and make some money that way. Because we're not in the era where everybody's hoarding their own content into their own streaming services anymore. And and uh, so Hulu works like that. Hulu Plus Live TV, yeah, they could shut it down. Um, they could find some value in it if they wanted to. They could find a buyer for it. There are lots of options there, but that doesn't feel like it's a thing that needs to survive. Like if yeah. it has value, they could sell it off. And if it doesn't, then they can just shut it down. There are Everyone other... I- talk to about the like the hulu stuff in general that when the live tv aspect comes up jason that's exactly how they feel they're, they're kind of like that's the easiest for them to just say well just shut it like it, sh- like you don't need it it's not unique I, the only yeah. thing I, I will say about hulu plus live tv is i if comcast is a partner or buys hulu I could see them saying, okay, we're going to use this tech that's been built, sure. even though they're the cable company, to con- to continue offering, you know, uh, maybe if the tech is better than Xfinity's tech for this, then, you know, they, they would offer it uh, to, to people who don't want to have Comcast proper uh, cable, but still get the their programming bundles. But yeah, realistically, it's not... Uh, the, MV or well, MVP VDs are a dime a dozen because they all right. are using the same cable contracts as everything else. Obviously, Google cares about it for YouTube TV for lots of reasons, and there are some other companies out there that are doing it. You got Sling, which came out of EchoStar, which was a satellite broadcaster. You've got Fubo, which was came from the sports side, which is the one that I subscribe to. But like, it's not 
like they are easily replicable, honestly. So unless the tech has something magical in it, you could just dump it and leave. And their finances aren't great. I mean, this is the other conversation too about the live TV aspect. Is like to, to your to your exact point, Jason. There there's so many that you can kind. Of, they're all replicatable to an extent. They almost remind me of fast a lot of ways. For the most part, yeah. they all have the same channels. There yeah. might be some blackouts where they're kind of like we're not making that deal, but yeah, it's all the same. same and stuff. so you kind of go with which UI you prefer. Like I have YouTube TV, and it's just because I I prefer. And we have access to certain things that Hulu doesn't have. But uh, like what I will say about those businesses, you look at the Fubo financials, you look at the Sling financials. And then, of course, I mean, this is going to lead us into our next conversation, which Mm -hmm. I'm very excited about. But you look at kind of the state of linear television and you look at the state of why people would subscribe to a kind of you know, virtual TV or virtual live TV service. I mean, I think about this on one, the the reason we have YouTube TV and I have two subscriptions to YouTube TV because it maxes out at six people per household subscription. And I have uh, between Kevin and I, we have like 12 people who want to have TV for 10 bucks a month. And so, um, we have one side. It's very, it's almost so funny. It's like very gender stereotypical and I feel terrible about it. But like on the one end, we have the guys who really want access to a lot of the regional sports stuff or they want access to the national sports stuff. And so they have that specifically to watch games. And on my other side, we have my girls who really want to watch Bravo. Like, like their whole thing is like, I just want to watch Bravo night of. And in the next few years, Peacock will move Bravo to night of. They'll, simul- they'll, they'll simulcast. They're just going to be like, well, you can go to Peacock and watch it here while it's happening on, on linear because at some point, again, like we talk about this a lot in this podcast, that teetering on the cliff is going to go one way. And so they'll say, okay, well, we really want to drive people to this. So we're just going to take a bit of a loss on the cable front because we're going to – I always think about it the way that like – the comp that the studios had the, the 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 theater exhibitors they finally were able to say like we're <laughs> going to be in your theaters for 30 days you can't say anything because you need us more like that's where the linear side is going to be where they're going to say we're going to give you this as well but we're taking on our streaming because you need it more than we need you and so eventually it gets to the point where it's like okay well if half of that my my friends right if they're saying well the only reason i want youtube tv is because of bravo and i can get bravo now on peacock for what seven dollars a month yeah. uh, and i can get it night of well, we don't need it. So although we have, you know, five people watching for free effectively, like those are people who are now saying, oh, well, I don't need this anymore because streaming kind of does it. Sports is complicated. We're about to get into that. Yeah. But it, it is that question that goes along with the Hulu live TV bundle. It, I mean, it, and, and the thing too, and Jason and I have talked about this often, is like Google and Alphabet are a whole other conversation the same way that Apple and Amazon are. They can fund stuff oh, yeah. for years if they want to. Yeah, and it's not TV. a concern is 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 not just a product it is a product as a part mm-hmm. of a larger strategy and that totally yes. changes the game versus something like fubo where like that's what they yeah. do and if they can't make money at it they won't survive exactly and and google i mean it was we had this conversation when the sunday t- uh, sunday ticket conversation mm-hmm. came up and jason and i talked about it and it's like it worked out if, i remember jason i think it was like less than one percent of their total revenue it was like they, they were like, it's fine. Like, we don't care. We can buy it and it doesn't affect us. To Jason's exact point, if you're Fubo, if you're, if you're Disney, right? And like, this yeah. is the product. Like, this is how we're making money. You can't just say, well, we're just going to continue to fund it for the next 10 years and hopefully see something that happens, especially when all the evidence is pointing the other way. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it is a funny situation, but I, I think that it is. Res- it, we wait long enough and maybe it starts to resolve. And I, I think, I, first off, I think we solved it. 
clearly. So, you know, Bob Iger, give us a call. Um, but it's, it, yeah, I mean, Hulu plus live TV seems like a distraction and actually a brand dilution to me. I would just toss it away uh, unless there's value. If somebody wants it, you can buy it. You can have it. But like otherwise, Hulu going back to sort of being this um, non-denominational place for streaming stuff and that there's a, you know, that there's a no ad tier, but there's also an ad tier. And maybe in the end, there's a free tier. And it's all because, you know, everybody wants to find a market for their their extra stuff. And this is a good place to put it and bundle it all together and sell it and make some money on it. And like, like I think that was two years ago. That was like, nobody's doing that anymore. We're, we're done. The game is over. But now <clears throat> that game is over and we move to a new game. A new act is happening now. And in this one, I think that there is a place for something like Hulu and maybe it has value. I just don't feel like it it matches with the rest of Disney's strategy, which is why whether yeah. it's selling it off to somebody who wants to make it this, uh, which might be the Comcast strategy. I don't know, although they also might want to just sort of merge it with Peacock, but also putting it off on as its own thing, kind of like frees it to rise or fall and also makes it yeah. a safer place, I think, for Disney's competitors to mm-hmm. view Hulu instead of it being kind of like making a deal with the devil, which it is a little bit now because Disney's fingerprints are all over it. So, yes. I mean... Yeah, we'll we'll see where it goes, but I like that there are some potential paths forward for for Hulu. Um, but like, I, I do believe the best thing for Disney as a company to to look at it from that side for a moment is to shore up the content strategy for Disney Plus with some stuff yep. like they have in the rest of the world and just not in the U.S. with some content like the FX stuff, which is very good stuff. And say we've got Star or whatever they want to brand it in the U.S., but Star is what it is everywhere else, and that that's you know parental controls are on and they already are there in the app now um and and you know you can watch the david letterman and you two swear all but the one word uh on their special that's there right (laughs) they're already kind of creeping that way so just do that and then and then let hulu go somewhere else and i think that's better for disney in terms of its branding and focus and having the same product all over the world like it feels like a better way forward for them to not have hulu Around. And I and I, I I totally agree. And I also think you know, for us as people who obsessively consume all of this kind of news um, and think about it, and then for our listeners who I imagine also obsessively consume this news because you're listening to the podcast, um, yeah. I just love games of corporate chicken. Like <laughs> I love the like statements that like Brian Roberts puts out, that like Bob Iger put out, that are very much like. No, you know, well, we don't really need it. And if it's like, it's like, well, we could sell yeah. it, but we don't really know. Oh, Brian it's Roberts whole, like, is masterful. He's like, well, maybe we'll buy it. Maybe we'll just buy the whole thing. Maybe they should just sell the whole thing to us. And it's like, well, wait a second now. You know, is he, is and, he, is that, is it, is it like reverse psychology happening there? <laughs> like, who knows? And like, I, I was thinking about this because I was like, what a great game of corporate chicken where these CEOs who are like, normally no one really talks about with the exception of Bob Iger, who like people obsess over, uh, like they don't really get their fair, they don't really get their day in the sun unless it's earning season or unless there's a succession story happening. And now there's all these kind of very interesting and, and entertaining um, games of chicken being played publicly uh, while, while this kind of pivotal moment happens. And I think, like, truly, as I think about this, uh, alongside all the Fox News things happening, which we haven't talked about on the podcast, we may, we may not, it's kind of related, but also kind of not. Um, I, I, I do think, like, what a perfect time for no marketing spend really needed for succession season four like truly uh-huh. it's just like you're yeah. like I, I, casey bloyd's introduced the they had the premiere last night in new york 
And Casey Bloys introduced the team and he was like, you know, we've gone through a couple of purchases ourselves. Like we've, we, we, this is kind of, we're in this world that, that the show kind of inhabits. And I think as we talk about all the Disney and all the Hulu stuff and what happens with a, you know, one of my favorite things to say, people, uh, our listeners have heard me say it, like a, a traditional company of yesteryear trying to become a, you know, kind of legacy company of, of tomorrow. I think like Disney is, is the center of that conversation and Hulu is like this piece of the puzzle that you're trying to just fit in and you know it doesn't really fit but you're trying to find a way to make it fit and so eventually i think you kind of just have to say well what if we toss the piece yeah. not too far it's within reach we, we we can see it we know where it is we know what its purpose is but we actually don't know how it fits into our puzzle yet and it works better if it's not necessarily within the puzzle yeah. and i think that the, the hulu game um, will continue to be interesting until 2024 right when this sale has to happen like yes. they, that's where the the put and the call are so so i'm sure jason and i will talk about hulu much much probably more. <laughs> probably gonna continue to be a feature of this uh of this podcast yeah. but now we turn to sports corner sports corner but sports corner is actually pivoting from what we just said because the other piece of the disney bundle the other piece of the the uh the pie is espn oh yeah uh, and ESPN, of course, as we've detailed here before, powerful linear TV asset makes a lot of money from cable fees, but the cable fees are dropping. And so that that is a big thing that's happening here. People are cutting the cord. And that means that the the per uh, and, and just to re- replay this for people. Currently, the way the economics of cable TV works is basically you negotiate a fee for a channel and it's paid not based on any kind of measurement. Um, it is unless it's like a premium channel where people are paying it specifically to get HBO. It is based on the number of people who subscribe to the cable company. They don't they're not measuring it. There are no metrics involved in any of this. It's literally like if you pay for cable or an MVPVD for that matter, some portion of your bill is going to all of the channels, even the ones you don't watch. And that's just how it is. And one of the most expensive of those is ESPN. Another of the most expensive of those are your regional sports networks, which it's the same thing. You don't pay extra to see, in my case, it's NBC Sports Bay Area. You don't, you, you, it's just in your bill and everybody pays it. And that is a key problem as we enter a more, uh, as the cable bundle kind of dissolves is um, the economics of having to choose to pay for a sports channel because the sports channel got rich on people who didn't watch it, essentially. And now you end up in this situation. So so uh, there's ESPN, uh, what Disney's going to do with ESPN, and then there's the regional sports networks, which we've detailed here before, that are complicated. Uh, Bally Sports, which is owned by Diamond, which is actually part of Sinclair, but they put it in a separate company so they could file for bankruptcy, has filed for bankruptcy. They, they didn't pay the Arizona Diamondbacks their rights fee. Um, which is a problem, but they're in chapter 11 now. It's actually chapter 11 bankruptcy. So uh, there's a question there about like when the rights would revert or can they negotiate something And a court, actually a bankruptcy court actually is going to have to decide that. And AT&T also owns a bunch of regionals and they say that they are getting out of that business. And basically they're not declaring bankruptcy. They're just threatening 
uh, all of the all of their partners to say basically like help us get out of this business. So there's a lot, and this is happening right before the baseball season starts. So the, the, which is a point of high leverage, and therefore is why it's happening when it is. So it's pretty wild, um, right? Because the the Warner Brothers Discovery they have threatened to file Chapter Seven bankruptcy. Um, should they not reach agreements with their partners, which is pretty wild. So this is, it's all, it's all happening, Julia. It's all happening very fast. Uh, they, they haven't paid the Diamondbacks. They are, they now haven't paid the Padres for those rights. Diamond hasn't. Uh, and I should also point out that the deals the Diamond has with their carriers, the cable and satellite companies, expire in the fall. So even if something is resolved this year, um, it's all over, basically, and something has to replace it uh, next year for baseball. So it's a I mean, it feels very much like a reckoning is coming, right? Because there's there's no way, given how much money per subscriber people were getting from cable, you do you can do the math it there's no product at a price people would pay for that is going to give them the revenue that is necessary for for the teams to match the revenue they were getting from the from cable no. before i mean this is the i like i like the use here of reckoning reckoning jason i'm going to use that this is the reckoning that the industry has known was coming right this is the moment that you know, we talked about this on the podcast before with streaming as a whole and the transition from kind of basic cable and premium cable to streaming. And to Jason's point, you know, the fact that the RSNs were able to exist in this beautiful socialistic system that was the cable bundle, right? That yeah. was like, even if your mom or your grandfather did not care about the Diamondbacks, the fact that they were able to access that because they paid for the cable bundle was what allowed the RSNs to kind of exist in this profitable operation mode they were able to charge these carriage fees that 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 the distributors wanted to have because they wanted to have access to these games because if somebody was like oh you know the diamondbacks are playing a really big team that i'm interested in i might go and click on it and so the distributors wanted access to those casual fans as well as the diehard fans and what is what has happened i think which is really interesting is that the national or not? I shouldn't say the national teams. The big teams are not necessarily as concerned about this, right? Like the Yankees yes. are not as concerned. The Dodgers are not as concerned. People will kind of figure out ways to watch them, and uh, they can go and do what they're doing with the 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 Madison Square Garden sports, where they're saying, "Hey, you get access to like the Knicks, you get access to the Islanders, get access to." I don't know if they included the Yankees with that because the Yankees are yes. I think it's slightly different. But you get access to all these different teams that are really big teams. They know people will pay for it and they can kind of go the direct consumer. The issue is the smaller teams yes. where people are like, oh, well, there, it's a smaller base. That base is maybe not as interested in paying for access to those games. Like if you think about the base that's interested in like the Diamondbacks, right? Then you think of the core base that is interested in paying let's say $15 a month for access to them during baseball season. Baseball season lasts how long, Jason? Five months? Six months? April, May, June, July, August. Regular season, six months, yeah. Six months, yeah. So so they pay for six months. Then you've got huge churn issues. So that's going to affect your mm-hmm. you know annual. Which is why uh, the RSNs would also have basketball and hockey, right? And try exactly. to like just slide through it. But if, if you, you don't, you have a churn issue if you're just selling baseball. Exactly. So that's what MSG is saying, like, we're going to partner all these things together. And and the, and the big issue as it relates back to kind of YouTube TV and Hulu TV, as we were talking about it, is they're not as interested in the regional sports networks because they right. want national. 
They're like, we're appealing to kind of this global, uh, excuse me, this uh, cross country base. And so we want the big net, we want the national games. Or as I was just saying, we want access to like Yes Network. Like we want the Yankees because people want to watch Aaron Judge or we want the Angels. I mean, exactly. market size is a huge part of it. I've got some I've got some stats here about about baseball and they're not like wins above replacement or uh, number of home runs. It's money <laughs> stats. Uh, 23 percent of Major League Baseball team revenue is broadcast, including radio. But again, TV is a huge mm-hmm. part of that. Most baseball teams are in the 18 to 25 percent range. But the two L.A. franchises have more than 30 percent because they yeah. again, it's it's market size. They're huge. Um, the Dodgers uh, deal was with their their cable provider was uh, or in the rsn was 25 years for uh, 8.35 billion the angels got 3 billion for 20 yeah. years so these are long term made in the era and this is important to remember made in the era where it was felt like sports was the bulwark against people cutting the cord that right. this is we're going to keep them there problem is that we've kind of crossed the point where now everybody's like mm, they're cutting the cord regardless and we still want to have a product for them uh and and also to point out, the issue is not that baseball broadcasts are are not doing well. Baseball ratings are, and this is from Sportico, a piece by Kurt Badenhausen that I'll link in the show notes. Baseball regional sports network ratings were and still are elite. Last season, it was the number one programming in primetime on cable in 22 of 29 markets and 13 out of 29 when including broadcast networks, according to Nielsen. The ratings for baseball games in your local market are actually really great, but there is a huge revenue gulf between large and small market teams because unlike the NFL, where everything is a national contract, there are no local regional contracts, and then everything is shared among all of the owners equally. In baseball, the there is some revenue sharing for the TV revenue, but it's also a the biggest differentiator. That and, and attendance are the biggest differentiators in terms of the regions. And as a result, what you see is the big market teams are not having a big problem with their regional sports networks. It's the small market teams. It is Arizona, you know, Phoenix, and it is San Diego, and it's going to be Milwaukee, and it's going to be Kansas City, and it's going to be places like that where there is a problem because those are smaller market teams, which means that they can generate less money out of their TV market. And I even saw a story by somebody who has, you know, some credibility in this field who said, ultimately, it might even lead to Major League Baseball having to do something like split in two. So that either either the big market teams are going to have to share more money with the small market teams or they could they could do what they refer to as a premier league style realignment, which sounds to me like basically uh, it's saying we're going to just make a league of the teams that have money and the rest of the teams are going to be playing in the league of teams that don't have money. And we're going to leave it at that. So it's a, which I doubt will ever happen, but it's like wild that people are even talking about it now. And it's because the economics are just not the, an entire economic system was built based on things that are no longer true. That's the bottom line. Yeah. You also hear, I I actually want to just touch upon something really important that Jason said, which was, this was made, these deals were made, those those large 25-year deals for, you know, close to $8.5 billion were made in an era of two things happening. One, which Jason expertly pointed out, was when they thought sports was still like the thing that was going to hold the cable bundle together and has quickly become not that, right? Yeah. Like, like everyone four years ago was like, as long as sports are here, we're fine. And then very quickly, 
the people who controlled sports, meaning the distributors, were like, well, we're just going to put them on our streaming services as well. And then everyone was like, well, now we are, you know, if you if you listen to Michael Nathanson or Craig Moffat, who are I think, probably the best in this field about this, John Orend, who's really great at it, you know, it's kind of the moment where they all said, well, we're, we're fucked, right? Like that was kind of, <laughs> yeah. that, that was like that, okay, well, everything that we thought could hold it together, they're just saying, no, we don't really care about that. And so the next thing that's happening which is interesting um, is this idea of like, okay, well, how do we as an RSN expand upon this idea of diehard fans to create flywheel? Now, if you talk to people in sports media, really interesting conversation because they'll the, the thing they'll tell you is like, we don't care as much about casual fans. The media is focused on casual fans because they're saying, oh, well, if you don't have, you know, the, the big one that everyone always points to, Ben Thompson had a great piece about this because he's a big basketball guy. If you don't have the uh, All-Star Weekend on cable and people can kind of flip through it, then you have less casual fans tuning into it. So people in media and analysts are kind of like casual fans. And the, and people, the leagues, I would say, the leagues are concerned about it maybe at a high level. But, but Yes, yeah. But that's it. Yeah, right. And then we've talked to people actually in the, the distribution side of things. They're like, we only care about diehard fans because yeah. that's who we can kind of rely on. So that's when we are making our projections, when we're figuring out a business, that's what we look at. The RSNs now, you hear people talk about this, are kind of thinking similarly, right? Their whole thing, and the company I want to talk about really quickly, because I think you're going to see a lot of people try to emulate this, that you're going to see a lot of people fail. I think this only works with certain other companies, is a small company owned now by Sony called Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll is an anime, like distributor, the supplier, uh, a creator, it, it does all these things. Crunchyroll like really i think perfected the fly the disney flywheel being a hundredth the size of disney right like it was kind of like we're going to release theatrical we're going to do streaming we're going to do merchandise we're going to do in-person events we're going to do fan stuff i think what you're going to see the lot of the rsns try to do is partner with FanDuel, is partner with the the merch suppliers is partner with like monthly box services and be like we are going to try and lean into the fans and say if you pay 30 bucks a month not only are you going to get, you know, free tickets to the games because we're, we're working with the teams and the teams want you to go to their games. Not only are you going to get access to every single game in market, you're also going to get, you know, jerseys once every six months. You're going to get, you know, you can get access to early access to whatever it might be. I think you're going to see some of that work because what they're trying to say is like we're trying to appeal to these hardcore fans and then we're going to try to find ways whether it be through licensing uh, uh, licensing out certain games to bigger networks bigger streamers within right. apple whatever it might be who are like okay here's how we try to find the casual fans the issue with baseball so i want to get your uh, point jay uh, your your opinion jason um because he is jason is our our resident baseball expert <laughs> i think i think the reason this won't work for the RSNs and the way that I think it would work for like a BET, which is in the process of trying to be sold, um, is that one, baseball is and sports are much more complicated. And the third parties involved with making all of that kind of additional ancillary aspect really work gets really, really complicated and it really affects the revenue share. But two, baseball is a difficult sport for casual fans to get into watching casual fans will go to games they are like i will go to a baseball game like that's fun for me i have a hot dog i drink a beer i'm with my friends i talk for nine innings they'll do that getting a fan to sit down and watch or sorry a casual viewer to sit down watch a game 
For a team that is not a huge team in a market that is not a huge market, when there is so many other things on as soccer becomes more popular in the, in the U.S., as F1 becomes more popular in the U.S. and they're more accessible, as there's as the amount of television and film really picks up again, as people start going out again, that gets really hard. Baseball's already suffering from a ratings issue and from a fan issue within the hardcore baseball community. People who are huge baseball fans are like, I don't know. Like, like I like there's so like I just kind of pay attention when I pay attention. Now you're gonna ask them to pay more, and then you want to try to bring the casual fans in. It gets really complicated. So you see why the distributors and the RSNs are kind of saying, okay, well, we'll maybe try to focus on the hardcore fans mm-hmm. and really try to make revenue here. The reality is. The casual fans are pro- are never going to tune in if 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 that access- accessibility and availability is cut right off, or and, and the hurdle gets bigger. And two, baseball's already in a difficult situation. It is not like anime with Crunchyroll that is growing exceptionally every single year. It is decreasing in the amount of people who are really paying attention to it and who are interested in it. So I think baseball suffers the most from this like you know basketball's issue is that they have really young fans who aren't going to be paying for certain stuff but now they're trying to figure out ways around that i think basketball also has the additional benefit of like those players are interesting like those players are funny like like they like they're very very they're on social media they're young baseball players in the best way are like not they're they're boring and that's not a bad thing it's just like but they're not necessarily these big personalities that basketball players tend to be that football players tend to be and so i think it's a really difficult thing to say we're going to take this out of the socialistic cable bundle and hope that people are saying okay well that's where i want to spend my money when there are just so many different options and baseball is depreciating in terms of attention spent not not growing but i want to get your opinion well i i think you i think you overstated a bit i mean there are definitely problems with baseball and they've actually changed the rules this year in order to try and make the the game uh better paced because it had slowed to a crawl where everybody was unhappy with it. But the ratings are still pretty good. Yes, the postseason mm-hmm. ratings are down. Postseason ratings are down for lots of things because ratings are down for lots of things. But generally, they make a lot of money. They make more money than ever. Um, they, they are, they're doing fine. I, I, I think that baseball is a has to start competing, which they haven't been with other sports. And and the rule changes this year are a sign that they're actually going to try that maybe uh, because no, baseball loves nothing more than money. And if their money is threatened, they will find ways to try and claw it back. Um, I, I think the I mean, in the end, what you want is a product that the that the hardcore fans will pay for. And the truth is that most people who learn to love baseball learn to love baseball because of the, their of a family member who passes it down. The very rare is the kid who's an obsessive baseball fan in a home that nobody else cares about baseball. Um, but that would be a concern, right? It's like, well, how do you get that kid to be able to watch the games if uh, exactly if they if they can't? And I think the answer is, uh, you know, the question is how affordable is that uh, is that streaming? service so that they'll be able to do it or what are the windows that allow uh games to get out of the streaming service and i honestly i feel like a lot of the pieces of that part of it are there for baseball already mlb network uh if you're if you're somebody who's on a cable uh, uh, provider or an mvpvd mlb network picks up a bunch of games onto linear uh, from the local linear international espn I think is actually building a pretty good business uh, in the long run between ESPN plus 
and uh, and the main ESPN channel on again pulling games from local markets and also broadcasting them nationally, which gives you kind of that like that free thing. And then uh, MLB TV also does free games. Um, there are some in market out of market questions there, but I think in the long run those may go away. So I think there's an opportunity for all of the sports stuff to do what actually what Major League Soccer did with Apple, which is you you just you you buy the whole thing for streaming and then you punch a bunch of holes in it that go to linear so that you're still present on linear you're still present on ESPN or FS1 or somewhere even though you're still streaming but like for for baseball the challenge is going to be how do you get the money to work and that's the part that there's going to be a shortfall there's teams are not going to be able to make the money that they make now and the question is for viewers what does that mean in terms of like my mom is in Arizona and she if the Diamondbacks disappear from her cable system, uh, she does have a streaming box. I'm just going to have to walk her through like how to do that. But like it, it's a it's a, a challenge for fans. Like, where am I going to be able to find this? At the same time, the opportunity for fans is cord cutters who can't without doing without spending 65, 70 bucks a month on something like YouTube TV which or Fubo, which doesn't want to be in business with the RSNs in the long run, by the way. Um, but beyond that, like they they have no other way to watch their local team. That is going to change. But the question is, what's that price going to be? And is it going to be a price that can be set high enough that the teams are satisfied, but low enough that people will buy it? And that's a big mystery because the truth is, what the teams need to charge to keep their revenue is more than any anybody would pay. So they're going to have to figure that part out. I don't know. It's a mess. It's a real mess. But the good news, I would say, Julia, is that when I was looking at the Dodgers 25-year deal, I thought to myself, well, we're not going to even know the answer to this for, for 10 or 15 years. And the, the fact is that that is not the case. Everything is falling apart now. Uh, this is happening now. And and what happens with the Bally Sports and the AT&T Sportsnet uh, channels over the next year and maybe even the next couple of months, I think is going to go a long way to determining the fate of of baseball on TV, but also the fate of all these sports. So also hockey and basketball that rely on regional sports networks for a big portion of their income. And I don't know how it's going to go other than that. My guess is going to be that fans are probably going to have to pay more um, unless you're a cord cutter, in which case you could cut the cord and pay less, but fans, fans are going to have to pay more and the teams aren't going to get the money that they're used to. And that's going to lead to a, Probably it's going to lead to labor unrest in the sports where the owners are going to want to claw money back from players. The players are going to say, no, thank you. Um, and it may even shake as that one thing that I mentioned, uh, shake the sports to their foundations because uh, the NFL has got it good. They've got a nice socialistic system where everybody goes into all the money goes into a pot and it's split evenly. Uh, but baseball doesn't have that system. And what, what happens if half the teams demand subsidy from the big teams and the big teams are like, we don't want to give you guys any money. Is there a breakup that happens there? Probably not, but I mean, who knows? You you could end up with strikes and lockouts and all sorts of problems that stem from dysfunction between the different ownership groups. So it'll be interesting to watch it. Um, as a fan, I just want you know, I just want to be able to watch my. I I think the goal is ultimately that if you want to watch a baseball game, you should be able to. If you want to watch a, an NBA game, you should be able to. And I think right, it's a little shaky right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think um, an aspect of this that uh, Jason and I did not go as much into, and I think would be great for the next. Sports corner uh, would be um, just how much 
with the Arsons and, and baseball especially, I mean, all the leagues, but really baseball, like how much of the teams and the team's revenue is is really tied into it. And so yeah. they're, they're like... Um, well, I guess it's 20%-ish. Right, like their invest, right, their investment in what happens with the RSNs is obviously very important. I would love to get more into that. Um, but I, I also just wanted to add, as you know, we're talking about our favorite teams, and and Jason kind of pointed out the disaster that um, this has become, and this will kind of continue to be. Although we have many, many years to see just how much that disaster really plays out. Uh, Mets fans listening know that the disaster for us has already started. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's inevitable. Edwin it's Diaz is out, and, and it's the Mets, and so. Listen, we just this we're just going to be miserable uh, as Mets fans for many, many, many years. Uh, it through throughout all the RSNs. The one thing that will continue is that we, I will find a way to watch the Mets um, and be disappointed. So maybe maybe losing access to it would not be the worst thing for huh, my mental that's, health. That well, that's might a take. Be, well, I, yeah, I, I will say that the, that's the counter arg- argument here, which is um, famously, you know, the, like a team like the Cincinnati Reds, which is owned by a very rich man, as all of the baseball teams are, uh, doesn't really want to pay money for players and they expect fans to just come and cheer for a bad team. And uh, I, I wonder, part of me wonders if, if if suddenly the spigot is shut off from the regional sports networks and yeah. they're more directly uh, having to deal with putting a product on the field that will make people pay the money for video streaming, if that might actually change the approach of some of these teams that have been able to coast for a while, or if it will simply just expose them as being a drag on the entire sport. I guess we'll see. But like, it is a, it is a fascinating thing to think, oh, one of your huge revenue streams that you were insulated from because you got paid whether you were good or bad is now going to go away. And, and, and uh, are people going to pay? Would you pay? Because to your point, would you pay to watch the Cincinnati Reds? I mean, when they're not trying? I wouldn't. No, somebody would have to pay me to watch the Cincinnati Reds. Right, because they're not even trying. So that that's the that's the problem. So uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll watch it. Uh, we'll watch it. Now, uh, we have to go. But uh, I want to tell everybody, um, send in your questions. Julia's about to do a bunch of traveling, so we're going to double record and do a whole letters episode. So I, we didn't get to any letters today because there's so much in the corners. But um, we will in a future episode, I promise. So please send those in by uh, going to downstreamfeedback.com. Uh, love to your mothers. We want to hear from you. And that letter-focused episode is coming next month. You can find Julia at Loudmouth Julia on Twitter and Parrot at Linux.com. And of course, puck.news for her column you can find me at sixscholars.com and i have other podcasts both here at relay fm and at the incomparable.com and until next time julia what will the corners be then i don't know and the baseball season will probably have started uh, until then uh have a good time uh, and uh and uh, yeah and uh, baseball is here <laughs> i hope we can see it somewhere go baseball hey. <laughs> yeah.